Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is podcast 250. 250 podcast is a milestone, I am told, by those in the podcast industry. But in this milestone podcast, if indeed it is that, I want to speak to you about something that perhaps is one of the most misunderstood of all the concepts in the Bible, and that is of what is and what is not a deacon. That's right, the official office of a deacon. We have been talking about the concept of leadership, the concept of being a pastor, as we would call it in the West, that of an elder, that of an overseer that of a shepherd. Those are the three words that are used interchangeably to describe the office that most call a pastor. Remember, that's not three different and distinct offices. That is one office, the office of leadership, that has three words describing the multifaceted aspect of ministry of that one office. And so you can go back and listen to those podcasts. I have just barely scratched the surface of what that's all about. I have an entire course called Poiminix, The Art of Shepherding. And in that, we describe the call, uh, the divine call, the personal call, the call to salvation, the call to service, and the qualifications for the office of that and of a deacon. And that's just part of the aspects of the course. To be more specific, in the next couple of podcasts, I want to talk about the role of a deacon the office of a deacon, the function of a deacon. The word deacon we will come back to because it's one of four primary words used in the New Testament for the translation of the word servant or some aspect of servanthood. Now, please understand the ground is level at the cross and the call to salvation and the call to service has nothing to do with qualifications. If anything, God calls the disqualified. God calls those who are rejects, those who are discards of culture, society, of the elite, of the uh, well-born he does that so that, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he might receive honor and glory that no man should boast. And after all, it's in our very nature to do that. It's in our DNA. It's in the curse that came after the fall. But what I want to do is to focus in on not superiority and inferiority, which we so often do when we talk about servantship and servanthood. And the Lord Jesus made it very clear. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It was the Lord Jesus who said, the one that will be the greatest among you will be the servant of all. Can we not get that? You see, when you go to seminary or you go to Bible college or wherever, you're not being trained to be a CEO if you're getting trained biblically. You're being trained to be a servant. What we are doing, I'm afraid, in many cases, is training a class of elites, not with the idea of servanthood, but with the idea and the concept of entitlement. 
And we just have to get away from that because that's foreign from the Word of God, foreign from the New Testament or the Old. Those who are in leadership have greater responsibility. And the more authority we're given, the more humble we have to be and the more humility we have to show in our lives. God, help us. God, please help us, everyone, to do that. Whether we're called to be in that office of leadership or that office of a deacon, which is more aligned with what we would call servantship, Lord, please help us to understand that the one that has the greatest authority has to be the servant of all. And may that be in all of our pastor's lives and in all of our lives personally. But I want to deal with these words just briefly. I know that I've touched on these in the past, but I want to just remind you because it's easy in all of the terminology, if it's not just a part of your life, to forget this. We all need to be reminded. After all, repetition is the mother of learning. And I often say to people when I see them rolling their eyes or I see them shifting and start uh, doodling on the paper in class taking notes or when we're studying, is this, if you know it so well, why don't you teach it? Why don't you come up and teach this? Because uh, if you know it that well, you can teach it. By the way, if you can't teach it in an authentic way and you can't teach it in a clear and concise way, then you don't know it. You just think you know it. That's the measure, really, of knowing something is being able to teach it lucidly and with comprehension and being able to present it in a succinct and concise way so that it's teachable. Taking complex issues and making them palatable to the common man, that's what we need in pulpits today and in Bible teaching. So in this concept of the office of a deacon, let's first of all examine the concept of servitude. Well, there are four primary words for that in the New Testament. The first one is Paul's favorite word to describe himself, and it's the word doulos, plural douloi. The apostle Paul called himself a doulos. Now, what is a doulos? A doulos is a bond slave. This is described in the book of Leviticus when a man sold himself into slavery. Sometimes he would have to sell his whole family into slavery. And when he did, God said, I don't want a uh, nation of debtors and those who are in debt to their brothers and sisters. So every seven years, I want the slaves uh, to have an opportunity opportunity to go free. And so that is what would happen. But many times after a a man had sold himself into slavery or he'd gotten into trouble, made bad decisions, uh, and his family worked or in servitude to someone else, then after the time when the debt would be paid off, the servant wouldn't want to leave. He'd say to his master, well, you have treated me so well. You have done so well with me serving you, and you make better decisions than I do, and and I have uh, fared well under you, and you fared well with me being your servant. I'd like for this to be a permanent situation. I want to give myself willingly to serve you, and I'll be your slave forever, not because I have to, but because I get to. And at that point, after uh, decisions had been made by both, 
that willing servant who wanted to be a servant and a slave of that man, of that master for the rest of his life. Then the ceremony was that the master would take him to the doorpost. He would put his ear up to that doorpost. He would take a punch or an awl, and he would mark that servant in the ear so that it was visible to all. And everyone would know that this is a, a slave who is a willing slave. He wants to serve the master because the master is so good and gracious. And that was called a bond servant. And the apostle Paul said, I serve the Lord willingly, not by constraint. This is what Peter was saying in 1 Peter chapter 5 when he said, we need to serve the Lord and serve his flock and lead his flock, not by constraint, but willingly, not for base gain. And as the King James says, filthy lucre, we're not to make it lucrative just because we want to make money, but because we want to serve the people of God. That's the aspect here. And so anytime you would see a slave going down the streets of Ephesus or Rome or Jerusalem or wherever, and you would see a man with a hole in his ear, a particular kind of hole, you would say about that man, oh, he must have a great master. They wouldn't say, oh, what a great slave he must be. But they would talk about the master because what that mark in the ear would do would be to really praise the master that he is such a wonderful owner and such a great master that this person willingly was going to be their slave. You've got to remember as we talk about these ideas of servanthood and servitude that I'm talking about in these podcasts here, we've got to remember that four out of every five people you would meet on the streets of all of these major cities and anywhere in the Roman Empire, four out of five, 80%. That's hard to believe, really, in our culture. But uh, four out of five were slaves in the Greco-Roman world. And so Paul said, I am a doulos. The next word is the word oikonomia or oikonomos. It's made up of two words. Oikos is the word for house. Nomos is the word for law. The two together is house law or house lawyer or the law of the house. And what this referred to is the the person who was in charge of the other slaves, in charge of the house, in charge of the master's affairs. This is much what you would have in an Old Testament sense with Elijah. Eliezer of Damascus, who was the servant, that is, the steward, that's the way it's usually translated, the manager of Abram's household. And you'll recall in Genesis 15, when God was promising Abraham a covenant that was going to be eternal and he would provide an heir, Abram was asking God, well, how can this be? I don't have a son. And Eliezer, my steward, my oi, Economos, if he had been speaking Greek, he would have used that word, is the heir apparent. God said, no, I'm going to give you a son. Oikonomos is where we get our word, oikonomia, our word economy, because it has to do with how something is managed. When we talk about that, we usually are in referencing money and our economy that has to do with money, but there's the economy of everything. 
the way something is managed or the manager who does the managing. All of these are wrapped up in that word oikonomos. And so that's a word that Paul used. He says, as stewards of Christ, 1 Corinthians 4, we are to be found faithful. We are to be faithful to do what the master says to do. The other word is the word huperetes. Huperetes is a compound word, which means under rower. It was a galley slave. It was the lowest of the slaves. This is what Charlton Heston played in the great epic saga, Ben-Hur. And uh, you'll recall that. So he was the huperetes. He was the galley slaves. Now, in every sense of the word, all of us fulfill every one of those words and concepts in our relationship to Jesus. He is the master. He is the owner. We're bought with a price out of the slave market of sin. That's why Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, what? Do you not know that you're not your own? You don't belong to yourself. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. Bring glory to his name. Why? Because he owns you. Now, I know that's not culturally acceptable in our day, but you see, the word of God doesn't build around any generational concept, but around truth. The fact is the Lord does own us. He is our creator. He's our sustainer. He is our Lord. He is our God. We are his devotee. We are his slave. We are his servants. All of those terms are very acceptable to God. He is the king. We are the subjects. We could go on and on. He's the potter. We are the clay. All of these concepts speak of is a superior one, a creator, uh, to an inferior one, the creation. And where we get in trouble is when we start worshiping the gifts rather than the giver, the creation rather than the creator. As we study these terms over the next couple of days, we need to understand that all of these refer to the concept of ownership. God owns us. The final word that I want to talk about that we're going to spend some time talking about officially is the word diakonos. Diakonos was a table waiter officially. It was a special kind of servant, one that was an attendant that made sure people were cared for, made sure that every need was met, made sure that in a setting of a meal or in the setting of a household, in the setting of a community, that the needs were met of those who were not able to meet their own needs or that needed help and assistance with something. These were the assistants. They were the administrators. They were the uh, ones who took care of those who couldn't take care of themselves, those who distributed to the needy. And that's the term and the concept, diakonos. From that, we get the word deacon. I hope you tune in again tomorrow at the next podcast. When you do, you'll hear about the official side of of the deacon and how it all got started and how we've gotten it so messed up and how God wants to bring us back to center again so that we can be balanced and focused. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. 
That's questions at TonyCRISP.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.